Greetings, this is Austin Bridges, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 75. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, Gary Bean, and myself, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that embraces your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not in the final word Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. This humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I am Austin, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. Gary and Jim, are you with me and ready to go? Yes and yes. Uh, uh, oh, Jim is responding to two questions. I wasn't sure if he's getting covering me. Uh, <laughs> No, I charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> so kind. Uh, do you want to insert here a quick note to listeners that um, you're trying new equipment and to uh, let us know if there is an improvement in this episode? That is a great idea. Um, yeah, we are trying out some new equipment, trying to improve the sound quality a little bit of this amateur production. And so there's a bit of a new setup. I'm trying to um, level things out a little bit as far as volume and quality goes. So if you have any feedback, positive or negative, but particularly negative, because that is what helps us know that something is wrong with the sound quality, then please let us know and um, uh, it'll help make this a better production. And um, I think 75 episodes in, it's time for us to get serious about this. <laughs> And so, with that out of the way, you guys ready to move on to our question? Let's do it. Yep, yep. All righty. This comes from uh, Mainford or Mineford. Um, sorry uh, for mispronouncing your name. But their question I really liked. They sent a few questions. This is the first one they sent. And um, he wrote... There is the hot issue of privacy right now that has come about because of all the wonderful technology that we so blindly embrace. Why is it that we are so afraid of our private lives being infiltrated when, if we develop into a social memory complex, everything is known to us since all we will share, since us all, since we will share each and every entity's memories? Is this natural friction to the letting go of privacy? Is this the group of negative entities' way of fighting that process? How can the seeker facilitate growth for him or herself or others in this area? Uh, my mind goes to a lot of places with those various questions. So we'll see where the discussion goes. I think first we can just sort of respond to the question directly and see where it goes from there. Um, Jim, what do you think? Well, interestingly enough, 
back in the mid-70s, Don and Carla's phone was bugged. Uh, They figured it was probably either the CIA or the FBI, and it was because of their association with the Dr. Andre Puharich. Puharich had been employed by the CIA at one time to teach what's known as remote viewing in CIA headquarters. Remote viewing is where an entity will use meditation to extend its ability to see over a distance what is occurring between it and that distance. And this was of great use to the military because, uh, well, for example, um, a fellow named Michael Jaco uh, was a Navy SEAL for 26 years, and he wrote a book called The Spiritual Warrior. Uh, Carl and I got to meet him and his wife about 20 years ago, I guess it was. They came, she came for a counseling. And he said that remote viewing was very valuable to him because he had been on many missions in foreign countries throughout the years. And because of the remote viewing, he always knew where the enemy was. So they could avoid the enemy. He never had to kill anybody. So it meant a lot to him. But Puharich not only was one of the primary characters in uh, teaching this process of remote viewing, he also had contact with Uri Geller. And Geller's psychic abilities also interested the uh, military and the CIA. So at some point, uh, there were three different uh, intelligence agencies that were wanting to get a hold of Puharich and try to get more information out of him and more service. Uh, The Israeli Mossad, uh, British MI5, and of course, the American CIA. So at one point, he decided to take a vacation to uh, Mexico and hang out in the mountains around Mexico City to try to take some of the heat off because uh, some of the the incursions into his life were less than courteous, shall we say. So, uh, And while he was down there, incidentally, he wrote Don a few... Uh, they'd met uh, Puharch a year or two earlier. He wrote him a couple of letters to let him know what was going on, and he was going to be down there for a while. Uh, on the humorous side, um, Don and Carla were in their apartment on Douglas Boulevard one day, and one of their S-SPAN meditation group members came by. Ralph, uh, his last name starts with a T, but Ralph at the time, uh, was stoned on LSD. So they were talking about uh, various things, and the topic of uh, Don and Carla's phone being bugged came up. So Ralph gets up, goes over, picks up the phone, and for the next five minutes, rattles off an unending series <laughs> of numbers, colors, names, places, things, you know, only a person on LSD could do. And I have a hunch there's probably still somebody in the CIA trying to break that code. <laughs> Carla's whole take on the issue was, uh, well, she said, we, we live a transparent life. We, I don't care if somebody's listening to me. I don't have things I want to hide from people. In fact, when she would get on the phone, she would apologize to whoever was listening. <laughs> she said, I, I'm calling my mom, and you know, we're going to be talking about boring things, and I know that you know this is not what you're looking for. So I hope you'll forgive me, but I have to do this. <laughs> so, and, and the reason they thought they were being bugged was whenever they would pick up their phone, all of a sudden they would be clicking on the other end, just for a moment, like maybe uh, microphones are being turned on or tape recorders being turned on. And so that was just the way it went for them. So that was basically Carla's take on it, and Don's as well. I mean, he, he really didn't care. I mean, they weren't doing anything that uh, would get them in trouble. I imagine people can probably come up with uh, examples of how uh, innocent people have been uh, arrested or so for 
saying the wrong words. I understand that they're code words that are uh, in the government uh, lexography. So if you speak them um, about you know certain things, that then you'll be investigated. So I don't know. So that's my take on the general <laughs> gist of uh, privacy and uh, lack of privacy. That's a scary thought that just saying a word <laughs> could get you arrested. Um, and that's also an interesting uh, approach to the privacy that they didn't seem to really care their phones were being tapped because I imagine that most people would not be so okay with that. Gary, what do you think? <clears throat> I hope I'm coherent on this question because I feel my mind moving in a, 10 different directions here. Yeah. Uh, so I'll try to organize myself as best as possible uh, regarding privacy and its value. I think, um, we, we exist in an, in an environment in third density whereby the veil of forgetting is implemented, thus separating our conscious from our unconscious minds. And, um, whereby we become, we seem at least to become these enclosed, separated units called the mind-body-spirit complex that are separate from all else and our, the content of our minds, our intentions, everything that seems to occur on an internal and subjective level within our consciousness is cloaked from everybody else. Nobody else can look at us and know exactly what we're thinking or feeling or intending. And likewise, um, thus we're forced to rely on <clears throat> outward communication, whether nonverbal or verbal or writing and so forth. Thus we can deceive one another and misrepresent intentionally or inadvertently our intentions and so forth and thus does an identity construct around this individual self that is in large part defined by um, an interior that is not known to others so our identity i'm saying is is uh somewhat linked to this notion of privacy and thus any change to the private nature of the interior experience would be a wholesale radical change to identity itself so i think that might get to the heart of um why one would have some uh, as mindford said or resistance or friction to increasing transparency because um evolutionarily we have we are encoded through uh, dna and culture and whatever it is that's passed down from incarnation to incarnation uh, to live lives that um, have a certain degree of privacy a certain interiority that is not available to the whole and there may be any number of reasons why someone might not want to share what's occurring on the inside i would imagine chief among them include reasons of concern about judgment from others or ridicule. I mean, how many people live lives where um, things are occurring in their mind that they intentionally hide from those in their immediate or their larger environment for precisely that fear? They don't want to be um, 
judged or rejected or ostracized or be perceived as being other than the local group. And how many within that local group are doing the same thing, <laughs> actually, uh, people hiding things from each other for fear about what the other would think. And uh, how radically different would it be if suddenly everybody was aware of all the things they were hiding and realized that, holy shit, we are essentially the same. We have so many of the same fears and the same concerns, and there's no need to hide. Let's be ourselves. And um, But that lacking, I think that that's one of the main concerns i would imagine i see it in my own life like i'm pretty much an open book i will respond to nearly any question that anybody asks me without uh, offense and try to answer as honestly and completely as possible sometimes maybe too completely nevertheless i don't tell like i'm austin and jim are two of my best friends part of this podcast we work together all the time i don't tell them everything and vice versa they don't tell me everything so i'm sure there's aspects to our own private lives that well, we wouldn't want to really proactively offer the other. And if suddenly the veil were dropped right now, we each might be standing uh, naked, so to speak, feeling a little bit awkward uh, <laughs> about what we might look like to the other till eventually through, I guess, some time elapsed, we'd say, yeah, we're uh, there's no reason to be awkward. There's no reason to withhold or guard information about who we are because, you know, we're the same. And uh, I think actually Carla was uh, among those I know. Carla was the most transparent that I've met. And it was just due to the fact that she really didn't have a partition between private and public in her brain. And sometimes I think that was a disservice or a weakness, I should say, when attempting to operate in this particular illusion. I don't think it always was a, a tactical thing that served the best good but ultimately of course it is a, a virtue and something to be applauded but um i think i might have one more small point and two more quick points and one is that uh this is all, all the scenarios i'm describing are including like me austin and jim um losing privacy all of a sudden that's in a really positive context but in this particular society of course there are negatively oriented beings who would take advantage of information which is shared about oneself and there are unpolarized beings too and i think that's part of um the difficulty with increasing transparency is that that information about the self is used by um, for a corporate profit or g increased government power or control. Um, not in all cases, of course. There's a flip side. It's um, technological advantages to increase transparency and um, operation of government increases in efficiencies and services as well. But there's also a very negative side. So whereas, and this is my final point, um, in the coming fourth density that revealed information contributes to the health and wellness of the self and the whole in this current environment uh, that information is is being funneled towards uh, exploitative ways so there is legit reasons to be concerned about loss of privacy as well as spiritually evolutionary reasons to celebrate increasing transparency more i could say of course but back to you 
Yeah, that's actually about where the first offshoot topic I wanted to go was related to, thankfully. And even going back to when you were talking about um, Carla's sense of openness, sometimes not being for the most realistic best, I guess. Uh, my question to you guys then would be, is transparency being sort of this um, opposite of privacy, is it a spiritual ideal uh, that is good for us to strive for? Or is privacy um, something that we can claim as positive spiritual seekers and uh, remain on a positive path? Or should we strive to be completely transparent in uh, our thoughts and actions and intentions? Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts? Well, in general, I would say I would be in favor of being transparent and having a clear blue ray that was balanced by a compassionate green ray so that we would be able to communicate with people like, I thought Carla was just the, the best I'd ever heard of being able to tell you exactly what the situation she perceived was between you and her if there was a difficulty. But she could do it in a way that after she was done, you thanked her <laughs> because it was so compassionately done. So that's what I would strive for is that type of a, a communication with the heart uh, with other people. Uh, and I don't think in all parts of our life we have to be transparent. I think there are some areas, especially in our spiritual seeking, that we need to keep sacred and secret and be silent about it because the Bible puts it grossly. It says, uh, cast not your pearls before swine, lest they turn on you and rend you. I don't look at people as swine, but I look at some situations as expecting too much of people to understand. If you shared every intimate part of your spiritual journey, you know, what's happening in your meditations or with your energy centers or with visions and voices and so forth, that is, uh, you know, private to each person. And I think each person has his or her own spiritual journey that it is well to keep private and to not uh, broadcast it around as if it were some magical uh, accomplishment that you deserved, uh, you know, sergeant stripes for or something. So uh, in that regard, I would say that it's, it's a good idea to keep those areas uh, sacred and secret. But in general, when you're dealing with other people and you're dealing with the, the energies that are being exchanged between you, that it is very important to be uh, as open as you can be and, uh, and as loving. So that would be my take on it. That kind of relates to something we were talking about on the last episode with uh, Jesus and how he spoke in parables. And I think I was talking about how um, that was a tactic that he used to sort of veil the message that he was giving so that seekers would understand it on the level that they were prepared to understand it. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about here is that um, casting pearls before swine would be similar to just blurting out your deepest spiritual significant truth right? versus uh, a parable maybe is <laughs> in sense availing of that truth, but it's still making it available in a sense and keeping it private at the same time which is an interesting dynamic, I think. Gary, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it, it intersects with a few other threads, including discussions we've had before about um, honesty and what is honesty. Is honesty 
um, always barfing out to to speak pejoratively or just you know broadcasting the contents of your thoughts or your experiences to anybody without regard to whether and how they can receive that or is honesty and clarity connected to a sensitivity toward the recipient um, a sensitivity that senses uh, whether they're in a position to hear what you have to say, whether they're interested or whether they want to and what service they're requesting and so forth. And I think this is where wisdom comes into play, which the center of wisdom, the Blu-ray, is also the center of communication of self and clarity and honesty. And I think that wisdom includes a capacity to sense the lay of the land around one, the environment, the people, the particular balances of the energies, and tries to dance as carefully as possible in determining where to place the feet, which means in this scenario, determining what to share, how to share, and what intensity to share, and so forth. Exercising that those sensors of sensitivity. And um, so I agree completely with, I don't know if I'm segueing into this properly, but <laughs> that I think needs to be incorporated into transparency. I think that transparency is a noble goal worthy of striving toward. I think as the entity progresses spiritually, they become um, necessarily more and more transparent, less and less um, guarded and hidden. But getting back to what you guys were saying, um, that wisdom that, that exercises sensitivity about one's environment also sees that some truths of the self are not appropriate for the moment. And there are um, many instances in history of nonconformists being uh, crucified or ostracized or persecuted uh, because they thought differently and expressed that. Uh, examples in medieval Europe, of course, of um, those who spoke a different truth than the Catholic Church, who were you know, put to the flames and so forth. So there is a balance there. But I think part of that balance, too, is that our primary communication isn't one that communicates what we're thinking or feeling or what information we have amassed, but rather is a radiation of self. So I think the first level of transparency is radiating love and kindness and being true to who you are. It's not necessarily um, divulging information that is contained within the container of your consciousness. And to conclude, um, I, it's, it's hard to say. I'm, I find my mind going back and forth on the spiritual adept and their degree of transparency but Ra does describe that I forget the Q&A in the context they say something about oh ah talking they're talking about service and they say the basically the best way the truest way to be of service is to open the self unhesitatingly 
to another shelf and to share essentially i'm paraphrasing the truth of the self with the other but they do say the word unhesitatingly and they do talk about pretense elsewhere so you're more and more relating to other selves authentically as you are without um masks on of persona that um conform to their thoughts or conform to your expectations of what society expects of you or hide yourself. You are more and more naked, more and more uncloaked. But I don't think that level of transparency always means that you're blurting out everything <laughs> you think and feel. Yeah. Um, I have an idea of where I want to go with this topic, uh, moving toward the idea of a social memory complex where we're basically in a transparent environment. But Jim, did you have any follow-up thoughts for that? For what we just discussed or your latest thought? Um, what we just discussed before we move on. Uh, no, I think I'm uh, ready to go on. Okay. Um, so part of Mindford's question has to do with the fact that if we develop into a social memory complex, everything is known to everybody, essentially. And that thought, I think, scares a lot of people um, because I don't think we were just talking about privacy in the sense that we have spiritual thoughts or truths that might not be best to divulge just straightforwardly. But I think most people would be more concerned about privacy in the sense of their inner thoughts that might be more indicative of distortions or unloving thoughts and things like that. I think people don't really want their um, their privacy disrupted in that sense. So um, my question would be, uh, how are those things supposedly dealt with and accepted within a social memory complex? If we do move into a, a complex in which all thoughts and intentions are known to everybody, um, what words could you say that might help people feel more comfortable about that happening instead of scared that all of a sudden they are, like Gary said earlier, just naked in front of everybody? Um, Jim, what do you think? Well, I would recommend that uh, each person think about or try to remember when they felt the most loved in their life ever. Then multiply it by about 10 or more, and then realize that everybody that you're going to be with has at least that much love <laughs> for you. That this is a totally new environment. This isn't a competitive place. This isn't people trying to take advantage of you by what they know about you. This is people who have love for you and for everything. The loving is no longer a choice. It's just like breathing. That because a person stands in front of you, you love them because they are made by the Creator and the Creator exists within them. There is no possibility of creating disharmony. There is only the possibility of moving together in a, a cooperative choice of deciding how to be of service. And that's the social memory complex. And it has a whole lot of information and experience to call upon because everybody in it, however many million there might be, for Ra it was 6.5 million, that every experience of every incarnation was available to everybody. What a library of information. You have so much to support you in your own personal journey and in the journey you're sharing with everybody else. And the way that the social memory complexes seem to grow 
is by being of service to others, of, of extending that love of others into an actual service, of reaching the hand back, as Ross said, to aid those who are not so far along on the path. It Just imagine the most love ever and then just multiply it. I mean, if there is nothing to fear, absolutely nothing to fear. Uh, Gary, what do you think? Uh, Jim elaborated really well on the seed thought that was beginning to sprout in my own mind. And that's connected to the two words that Ra uses to identify or describe fourth density. And that's love and understanding. And on the understanding side, Jim was describing how everybody's past experience, including past incarnations and everybody's present experience, all their memories, all their feelings become available to the whole. So when you look at somebody, you can gain for the first time a true and actual understanding about why they are the way they are, how they became the way they are. So that say in this transparent environment, uh, somebody has shadow energies of being vindictive or petty or envious or whatever the particular um, energy may be, you can read their whole story. And so can they, of course, and say, wow, well, you had these difficult experiences at this time in your journey and it caused you to respond in this particular way. And this is how you got to be to who you are. And as Jim was describing, since this is an environment of overwhelming love, then you, you as the other self respond to the self with that with that love, with that understanding, you, you see who they are through the eyes of love. There's not an iota of judgment or an attempt to repress the other self or control the other self or judge or say you shouldn't be this way. And in fact, Ra says the healer on, in this plane of existence in third density reaches that state. They perform their healing by seeing the energetic configuration of the other self without judgment. They say without fraction of a judgment. So say they see a blockage that is connected to a murderous rage or a blockage that's connected to um, whatever the case may be. There's not from the healer a sense of judgment towards the one to be healed. There's only, okay, this is distortion or imbalance or blockage. What can love do to make the self whole again, to help the self integrate, to help the self unblock that blockage? And I think that is the, the fourth density environment. And in fact, and to conclude my thought, I think that the single most important characteristic in, in that I can, let me start over. The single most important characteristic that differentiates fourth density from third is this availability of information. Um, without, actually, I'll just stop right there and <laughs> bounce it back to you, Austin. Yeah, the difference between third and fourth density is so vast. And I think that is something to keep in mind when considering this idea of a social memory complex being completely transparent and open. For one thing, Ross seems to indicate that 
it's not just an automatic thing that happens. Like all of a sudden, one day we are completely transparent to everybody, but that the social memory complex is formed once the, as they say, um, entire group of entities are of one orientation of seeking. That means that the social memory complex doesn't come about until all people are essentially at least in a certain way pointed towards love. And in that sense, no matter what they see within you, especially if your intentions are apparent to them, or if somebody else's intentions are apparent to you, no matter their distortions or their thoughts or uh, whatever they previously in their density would have liked to keep private, it has a different context completely. And you can rely on when you are revealed to these people and this group of entities, you can rely on the fact that they are not going to use that information against you. You can rely on the fact that they will... Um, uh, respect it and uh, approach it from a sense of uh, intending to love. And that, I think, is a key. Like, imagine in our society today, if we could trust in the intentions of everybody. If everybody around you, you knew that they had intended to do the best, uh, what they feel would be the best thing for this world— Imagine the polarization within our political spectrum. If everybody felt and knew that each candidate that is speaking on the podium actually wanted what was best for everybody, <laughs> but they just had a different idea of how that came about. Imagine how the dialogue of our political you know, culture would change if people didn't weren't so sure that the intentions of others were so harmful and if people also knew that their intentions were completely clear to everybody. I feel like the idea of ourselves becoming transparent, for me at least, is a lot more comfortable so long as my deep true intentions are known to people because despite whatever else they see, they understand the base of uh, what is there. And it won't be used against me in a social sense. Um, so we probably have time to like touch on one more topic that uh, I think is interesting. And that is um, Mindford's last question, really, is how can the seeker facilitate growth for him, herself, or others in this area? So we have this big sort of dynamic happening today of transparency becoming more and more sort of thrust upon us by technology and thus that making people scramble more and more for um, means of privacy. And this cre creates a lot of catalyst. And um, so I guess a two-part question is whether you think this is sort of a, a sign of the incoming fourth density and then how can people sort of balance this dynamic as we move into fourth density and help others balance this dynamic and how they can utilize this catalyst of this discomfort of transparency and then the continuing need for privacy based on the fact that we aren't yet in fourth density. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Jim? Well, I don't think I would prescribe or suggest anything different other than continuing to pursue your spiritual path continue to balance the catalyst that comes to you every day. We've all chosen this catalyst that we have 
uh, in our lives for specific reasons. There are certain lessons we want to learn. If we're able to learn those lessons that we've already chosen, that will allow us to deal with whatever is happening around us. Because what's happening around us is just part of our journey, part of what we are sharing with the rest of humanity. And it can also help us on our journey if we can use it just like we use our catalyst. Anything that you have a response to other than love and acceptance is an area where you can do some work to balance so that your response to that area eventually is love and acceptance. It doesn't mean that you're going to reproduce it in your life. It just means you understand it exists for a reason and that the reason ultimately is for the benefit of all to utilize in some fashion. So if we can generate within ourselves the ability to use our own growth and our own catalyst to look out upon the world around us with more love, more acceptance, then what we're giving is something that nourishes the whole process. And I think that's what I would suggest. Just keep doing what you're doing and don't stop because you're, you're doing a good thing. Your spiritual journey is the best thing you've got. It's the, the, as the Bible says, thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. Our faith and our will take us forward into love, into light, and into understanding. You're so good at driving the ultimate message home. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone to Gary first. Gary, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I would have focused on the work on the self as well, I think. How to reply to your question, the second part of your question, how do we respond to or how do we help facilitate this movement? I think the transparency that is happening now is not just revealed information. It's also opportunity for healing. There's vast quantities and qualities of healing that need undertaken on the level of an individual mind-body-spirit complex and definitely on a planetary level. And I think a lot of the work of early fourth density will be facilitating that process of healing and what is healing but a reintegration of the self a returning to wholeness a bringing back into the self that which has been rejected or shunned or separated from you're essentially the separate cut off self discovering the all self increasingly discovering that the self is everything that's the journey of healing. That's a journey of spiritual evolution. And this revealed information is the fast track to that. As one heals, one sees the self more clearly. And this increasing transparency holds up a mirror that is allowing human beings to see themselves more clearly than they ever have before. Though, if the self does not consciously undertake to use one's catalyst, then it can create increasing confusion and disarray and maybe even disintegration if the self is not ready to face the self. But if one does undertake to use this moment to the maximum, then the environment is giving them awesome opportunity to see the self and to heal the self and to love and accept the self. And as that process happens, then um, what Jim was saying, the, the rest will sort of take care of itself. The path will proceed and, and you will radiate those qualities to others. They will radiate it back to you as they undertake their own journeys. And as individuals be the change that they wish to see in the world, then the world itself, of course, changes 
And yeah. Oh, and, and you said do you see that happening was the first part of your question. And yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, when the first example that comes to my mind with without you know analyzing society too much is the Me Too movement. And finally, this suppression of this millennium of... Um, rather, this millennium of suppression of the feminine principle and of females specifically and all the abuse and subjugation that has happened in that regard is more and more becoming part of the larger conversation and is coming to the light. And I connect that to um, the onset of fourth density as well. But yeah, back to you. Yeah, I think in both of your responses, there's this theme of personal responsibility for how it's affecting us and how we relate to it. And I think that is ultimately the best way to contemplate this change that our society is going through is to think about not only the ways in which this transparency is revealing society to us or making um, people, individuals available for exploitation, um, consider other ways in which transparency is used, but also consider what is this doing to make you transparent to yourself in your reactions to transparency, whatever you feel about it, that is the catalyst for you in that moment. And in approaching that catalyst head on, you will enter into a configuration where I think you'll understand more how to deal with transparency as, um, we go through the turbulence that is the transition into fourth density. I think that um, seeing this change not just as something that is happening to us and we have to fight against it, but as an opportunity to um, bring love into a new configuration that seems uh, almost inevitable, uh, then I think that is probably a good way for a positive seeker to approach it. Um, I had one more point. What was it? <laughs> well, I don't remember. So I'll ask you guys, um, uh, do either of you have any further thoughts? I think I'm thought out. <laughs> I have a, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One quick thing to add. Uh, Mindford asked, he speculated by asking, is the, the friction that he perceives as being experienced to the loss of privacy? He asked, is this the group of negative entities way of fighting that process? And I would add briefly that Ra says the negative entities embrace this transparency too, but for diametrically opposite purpose. Ra says the early fourth density is one of the most intensive struggle. This is for the negative beings. When the order of authority has been established and all have fought until convinced that each is in the proper placement for power structure, the social memory complex begins. Always the fourth density effects of telepathy and the transparency of thought are attempted to be used for the sake of those at the apex of the power structure. Um, so the, the negative beings are responding to the same change in circumstance, but of course they are pursuing a, a different path that 
is not one of love and acceptance, but of control and separation. So they will use the increased information and embrace it for um, dominating others and increasing their own power. Yeah, there's also um, there's a quote. I actually wrote it down in case we got into this area. Um, there will talking about the initial transition period. Ross said there will also be a sharp increase in the short run of mm-hmm. negatively oriented or polarized mind, body, spirit complexes and social complexes due to the polarizing conditions of the sharp delineation between fourth density characteristics and third density self-service orientation. I don't know exactly what that means, but I can imagine that part of the fourth density characteristics that Ra is referring to is this transparency. And I do think that the transparency, um, the openness and the uh, what technology is basically doing to us is a reflection of that incoming fourth density. I think we're such a technologically based society that a lot of the early signs of fourth density will be reflected first in technology before it really seeps into the the human personality itself. So that sharp the the delineation between that fourth density transparency and the third density self service orientation. To me, that means it is a prime opportunity to take advantage of that transparency. While we are not yet fourth density and while we are not yet um, in a, a social memory complex where all intentions are known, that transparency can be used um, in, in certain ways. So uh, I think that is um, what I was talking about there. Real quickly on your point about the increase in the short run of negatively oriented entities, um, I think this can be seen in terms of their connection to exploiting transparency um, in mass surveillance programs and efforts of governments and corporations in particular to use technology uh, not in ways to serve and empower individuals, but in ways to control and suppress uh, individual rights. And um, you see this in various governments, especially around the world. Yeah. And a final note from me, this discussion, this very end of this discussion, it's similar to conspiracy-oriented thinking where, um, you know, there's a group of individuals who are against us and uh, we need to fight to protect our privacy and stuff like that. But my point to drive home would be that is the catalyst that is supposed to guide you to love or if you're positive individual who's seeking to love, um, how can you relate to these things from a loving standpoint is uh, the question I ask myself when trying to grasp what's happening in the world. Um, so I think we're about at our end. Gary, any any last thoughts? No, there's a great concluding thought. All right. And Jim, any final words for our listeners? Yeah. Um I can respond just a little bit to your last point. Uh, I think you had the right take on it, Austin. When we look around us in the world today and we see negative things that are happening and people's rights being abused just everywhere, and uh, I think if we can do just what you said, find love in that moment, it will be more valuable to us and to everyone because it's easy to love people that aren't hurting you. It's easy to love people that are loving others back. Now, we set challenges for ourselves, and there are challenges all all around this. If we can love in a situation where it doesn't look like love would be possible, if we can find a way to love there, 
that is something that will carry much more weight in our total beingness than any other kind of love. So as Ra said, there is love in every moment, every moment. There's no moment without love. There is a chance to find it there. So I would encourage everybody, keep your eyes and your heart on the lookout for love because it's around there. If you have a hard time finding it, put some of your love in the moment because your love is invaluable. And we feel your love for us here when we make these podcasts. And it is no secret. We are transparent. We love you too. (laughs) Please give and receive love as much as you can. That is the key to fourth density. We will see you again in a couple of weeks. You have been listening to LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed this show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to uh, Mindford for sending us the question featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about any particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you then.